Oops. <laughs> I'm going to take my earring off, too. I'm doing a test while I do this. I know it's working because my earring's making noise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. And Lord, as, as I teach this lesson, use me. Help me to deliver the word that's pleasing to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I was just kind of funny talk about Facebook. Facebook is where I got my topic <laughs> tonight. <laughs> you know, I was at work and I was kind of thumbing through when you got some extra time. And I was going through looking at some things and something caught my eye. Someone posted a, well the, well, the title of this is Your Mind is a Garden. But what got me thinking about this was a, a picture that I saw on Facebook. And it said, your mind is a garden, your thoughts are the seeds, you can grow flowers or you can grow weeds. And that sounds real cute, you know. He's like, yeah, getting ready to flip on. And something clicked into my spirit that I needed to, to study that out a little bit more. And I hope I got it right, I hope. <laughs> it's because I was to share uh, with you what I got in, in kind of digging this out. You know, when we think about sowing, we think about seeds, we think about sowing, and a lot of times we'll go to the parables. I'm not going to the parables tonight because the parables talk is talking about Jesus sowing seeds. And the and 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 the end what the enemy is doing in that situation. What I want to talk to y'all about tonight is what are we doing with the seed that, that Jesus is sowing in us. And so if you look at some scriptures here, and there's a lot of scriptures on seed time harvest, seed and sowing, but I picked out some just one little bullets here. In Job four the eighth verse, it says, Even as I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. That's not very edifying to me. But that is a truth, that we need to hear that. Proverbs says, Proverbs 1, 11, 18 says, The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. I want to make sure that I'm sowing righteousness. I want to be sure that that's what I'm planting in my garden, in my mind. And in Proverbs 22, 8, it says, He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow, and the rod of his anger will, fa- <laughs> will, uh, will fail. Um, it sounds kind of... Sometimes we need some warning. You know, we always want this uplifting message, you know, yay, yay, yay. And, but sometimes we need to hear the truth. And we need to examine ourselves. And so today, I want you to think about your mind as your mind is a garden. What are you planting in that garden? What are you developing in that garden? What are you feeding in that garden? And I want to get, look at it, Galatians in the 6th chapter, verses 7 and 8. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap 
corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And on Sunday, in the, in the lesson on Sunday, we talked about everlasting life. Everlasting, you're going to spend eternity somewhere. You're going to either be spending it with Jesus, or you're going to be receiving it without, in contempt. And what you sow in your life can, can get you in the right place, or it can get you in a place that the, the, where the, um, the weeds can choke the word right out of you. The enemy has access to our minds. And so as I was kind of looking at all this stuff and, and thinking about things, of course I had to say, okay, what is this, great, this mind that we have? And, I, and so I, I just kind of looked, at, looked up some things about, about our brain, about the mind. And I think it's kind of interesting that we know this. Our brain is a computer that processes everything that our body needs to operate. It has a lot of background programs. We don't even know what's going on. You know, we breathe without thinking. We do a lot of things without even thinking. But all bodily functions, learning, emotions, um, and, and, and senses, the smell, the t- touch, uh, the sight, the hearing, all of that is processed through our mind, which is located in our brain. Our brain holds everything. Um, and most of our, the functions that operate are, as I said, they're operating behind the scenes. And, the, and so your mind uses the emotions, it reasons, it thinks, it perceives, it uh, judges, and, and there's a whole lot more that we don't even know about. You know, when you look at the brain, our brain, Tim might appreciate this, our brain can hold a thousand terabytes of data. To common folk like me, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so what is that? It's a hundred times the size of the U.S. library. I don't know how big that is. You know, give me something I can, I can you know. Well, the, 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 uh, the Library of Congress is the largest library in the world. Uh, with more than 162 million items, uh, it, it, the collections include books, sound recordings, motion pictures, photographer, the, the, uh, photographs, maps, and manuscripts. That's a lot of data that our mind has in there. And, well, what our brain has in there. But it's our mind that is what uses that data when it comes to our Christian walk or if it comes to our personality or if it comes to what we expect from God. So you you think, well, wait a second. (laughs) I don't think I got that much information in me. Well, 95% of that data is stored in your subconscious. So we generally operate on, on 5% of that data, which, which is in our, in our consciousness. But when we experience something, we draw. We don't even know it. We hear something happening. We will draw information from our subconscious and use that subconscious to analyze what is being said to us, and it'll help us or hurt us in the interpretation of what we're seeing right then and there. And that's the point I want to make, is in the subconscious, 
that is where um, we have some bad seeds. And we don't even know it's there. And, we, and that's what I want us to deal with, and that's what I'm kind of dealing with, because we don't, how did it get there? <laughs> well, we live in a fallen world, for one thing. Um, our parents aren't perfect. You know, we, things happen. People make mistakes. You know, I, I look back and I, I'm always praying, Lord, you know, please help me with my children. I know I've made mistakes. Don't hold it against them. I'm still now, you know, Ruth is married. I'm still t- teaching her, you know, my mistakes. I don't want her to make my mistakes. My mistakes. I'm concerned about what did I plant in her that is in her subconscious that might cause her to see things wrongly. It can cause you to see the word in the wrong way based on, on what's happened to you. I'll, I'll give an example. You have someone, like a battered woman. You know, a battered woman is, you know, has a, this, this awful husband that beats her. So when she's someplace and a man disagrees with her, she might flinch because she thinks this man is going to hit her. She doesn't want to act that way. This man doesn't understand where she's coming from. Other people may not understand where she's coming from. What's happened is the things that she experienced in life got into her subconscious. And so what we do as a Christian, we know we're supposed to get into the Word and we read the Word and we study, but the Word tells us we're supposed to go in and tear down some strongholds. And those strongholds, in many cases, is how we were raised. And I want to skip forward um, to that scripture that, um, well, we'll get to it in a minute because I have a couple more points to make. So as I'm talking about how your mind processes things, here I am, I'm talking to you. You might think, well, I'm using my sense of hearing. Well, you can see me. So not only are you hearing my words, you're, you're, you're seeing what tone I'm, working, I'm talking to you from. You notice what color I'm wearing. You notice if I stutter or whatever I'm doing. You may notice if I've got a stain on my blouse or a scuff on my shoe. You're, you're taking in a whole lot more information, in many cases, as what I want to, <laughs> to deliver to you. And you're making an assessment of me and what I'm saying based on what you've experienced before. And that can be good, but that can be bad. You know, if you were hurt by a woman, a woman teacher, that might cause you not to want to hear what I'm, sa- what I'm saying. If you are super uptight about being you know, polished and everything else, you may not hear what I have to say because I'm not as polished as some of the other speakers are. But it doesn't mean what I have to say isn't true. And it doesn't mean what I have to say isn't for you. So when you listen to a speaker, don't let, don't let your mind be distracted by all these other things that really don't matter. What matters is, is the speaker... Am I speaking what is in the Word? Is what I am talking about lining up with what the Scripture says? I remember one time I had a hard time with a, um, a, a speaker. 
I listened to him online. I loved him. He came to town from Africa, so excited. He came to our church, and he, he had five meetings at our church all week long. And then on that Sunday evening, we went to another church, and he taught another lesson. And when he taught that lesson, he said something I didn't agree with. And so what I did is I shut my mind off. And I thought, wow, I thought he was more knowledgeable than me. I thought he knew better than that. I can't believe he's saying that. And I just didn't listen to him. You know, because what do you do? You, 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 don't, you don't entertain evil thoughts. You don't entertain things that are contra- you know, contrary to what the Word is saying. It wasn't until I got home and I was praying about it, and the Holy Spirit revealed to me, what did you have a problem with? And when I looked it up, he was preaching straight from the Word. See, I had a problem because what he said didn't line up to what I had been taught before. All of us have been taught lies. The enemy has been trying to twist the word since Adam and Eve. And we have to be careful. We learn a lot through TV, through bad teaching, everything. So, so now... When I hear something, I don't agree with it. It's so great because you can do a search. (laughs) You can find out why you agree. And you know what? Your faith should not be based on what someone tells you. Your faith should be based on what the Word says. So, you can always trust the Word. So, if someone is teaching something that you don't quite kind of get you the wrong way, go in the Word and study it out and find out what is going on. One or two things will happen. Either you will find out, yeah, they were wrong, or you might find out you were wrong. And now you can dig up that lie, that weed in your garden, and replace it with the truth. Our garden needs to have truth in it. And so many gardens, they can look pretty, you know. Uh, people, they can look wonderful coming to church. You think they got their act together, right? <laughs> They're looking good. But their family knows. Their family knows who's coming home. That plants bad seeds in your kid's garden. You know, we think... It's real easy to kind of get all excited. It's me and Jesus. It's me and Jesus. But when we make a a covenant with our spouse, we have a responsibility. When we decide to have children, we have a responsibility to raise those children the way they should be raised. I heard someone say one time, mothers, remember this. Do you want to raise a son that is a blessing to your future daughter-in-law or a curse? Do you want to raise a son that can be the head of the house or do you want to raise a milk toast? 
you know, uh, I heard a speaker, he was talking about how society, and y'all have heard me teach on the different um, generations, but one of the problems we have with the current generations is we've babied them. Now, they don't want to hear it. You know, I still fight the urge to fight my daughter's battles. I know better. I want to make things easier for her. But you know what? I learned through the struggles. Didn't, didn't y'all learn through y'all's struggles? If we don't let our kids struggle, how are they going to learn? They're going to think they're so special. And then when the enemy does come, they're not going to know what to do. And not to mention, they're not going to dig into, why they got to dig into the word? Mommy and daddy are going to take care of them. It's, it's our fault. You know, we can sit back and say, oh, this generation, well, I am responsible for this generation. I got kids in this generation. And you know what? I'm going back and doing some things and saying, hey, <laughs> you know, Ruth will say to me, why are you telling me this? Well, because you know, I got it wrong. I don't want to mislead you. You know, um, it was kind of funny. I was going to Ruth's house, and it was funny. She, she warned me. She said, Mom, she goes, you're not going to like what you see. And I said, what am I gonna, not going to like? And she goes, well, your house isn't as clean as you, you know, my house isn't as clean as yours. And, and, and when I went in, her, her house looked fine. But it kind of broke my heart a little bit that she was concerned <laughs> about me judging her. Are we afraid of certain people because we're afraid that they're going to judge us? Do we put up a pretense and we're not real with people because we're afraid of the judgment? I think the church is full of a lot of actors. I've done it. I've done it. I've acted the part. And then I go home and confuse my kids. So I want to encourage you to, to look at your garden. Look at what you've planted. You know, the, the nice thing about a garden is you can, you can start the garden all over again. <laughs> you, know, you may have to go in there and dig up everything and replant it. God's seed is supernatural and it can grow. So don't worry about starting over. You may have to do that. You know, I shared on Sunday that I went to Bible college because I needed help. Now, at the time, I thought it was because I was oh so spiritual and God was calling me to the next level, you know. <laughs> and he was trying to call me the next level. You know, he was trying to call me to first base, you know. <laughs> you know, I was sitting on third thinking I arrived, you know. And I had to go back and praise God that he was patient enough with me to allow me to go back and unlearn some things, to pull out some strongholds. And I have to tell you, okay, that, does, that wasn't the end all. That was just the beginning for me. I graduated in 09. That's 11 years ago. I'm still having to pull out weeds. I'm still having to rethink things. I'm still having to go back to my children and, and say things to them. I love it. You know, if, you want, if you'll sit down with the Lord, he'll analyze your life with you. The Lord will, will when, when you can handle it. The Lord is, is gentle. He's not going to come in and just knock you down. Well, I guess if he has to. I don't want to get to that point. But he will sit down with you as you can handle things and just kind of help you know where to start.
We don't know where to start. What's really a shame is we think we know where to start. And we start, and then we ask God to bless it. See, God knows the condition of our heart. I love it. I wrote it down. The last song that we sang, it says, I give you my heart, I give you my soul. Our soul is where our mind and our will and emotions are. Lord, I give you my mind, my will, and my emotions. Oh, except when my show's on. Except when I want to do this. Except, and the next thing you know, you, you don't hear the, the gentle call that he has on your life. So we've got we to we slow down. We've got to be quiet. One of the things that's great <laughs> about COVID, it, it, it allowed all of us to slow down. And I've heard a lot of people say that something good came out of this. That's how it should be. I learned that wearing a mask does not affect my relationship with God. I learned that being inconvenienced doesn't have to cause me to throw a tantrum and stop moving forward. Um, I have learned that it's real easy to isolate yourself if you're isolated. And it takes effort to kind of get back in the swing of things, but it's very important. You know, I'm... I want a relationship with my kids. I've got to work at it because now it's work. <laughs> you know, you got eight grandkids, five. You know, now six adults. If you're going to have a meal or something like it, it's work. Well, how important is is it to me to have a relationship with them? If I'm not willing to put put aside time and make a meal. It must not be that important to me. How important is your relationship with God if you're not willing to give up a covenant night and spend time preparing a meal for yourself? And you can prepare a meal for your, for your children, even as adults. It might be something real subtle. My love, Andrew used to say that we need to Preach from the abundance. We need to be in the word so we have abundance. If we're not in the word and we don't have abundance, then what a lot of times what people do is they preach all they know and they're worn out. <laughs> and then they've got to go dig for something else. But if you have abundance, it's abundance. It doesn't, it doesn't wear you out. It doesn't take a toll on you because you're not studying to show somebody else how smart you are. You're not studying to, to, to um, uh, just out of obligation. You're studying because you want a relationship with the Lord. And when you teach, the abundance is what you teach from. You know, Jesus spent time praying. He was getting his abundance. Jesus, as a child, spent time reading the word. Why did he have to read the word? Why did he? 
He was an example to us. And when you look at what Jesus did, you know, I used to think, okay, I can't be like Jesus, but I'd maybe be like Paul. But Jesus said to be like him. I'm just going off my number. I don't even know where I'm at my notes. But Jesus said, follow me and do as I do. And that's why Jesus, when he healed the multitude, did the, he healed in different ways. You know, Jesus could have spoken into any illness and, and had a miracle. But when it came to healing, what, he, he had healings and he had miracles. You had sometimes when it was instantaneous, sometimes it took a while. Why is that? I don't know. Jesus knows. It could be that he's raising up adults. If we just always got a, heal, got a healing, I mean a, a miracle, we would always expect miracles. And you say, well, it's right to expect miracles. Well, let me tell you something. It's kind of funny. I, at Bible college, I had this, this professor or this teacher, and he would brag about God always gave him miracles. And he was telling stories about these miracles. Going to lose his house, and then God did this. He was going to lose his ministry, then God did this. Uh, this happened, and then God stepped in. And what happened is he got to the verge of, like, losing everything. I can't tell you how many times. The guy was, like, in his 60s, and he did it probably about six times. But as he was telling these stories, I looked over his, at his wife. She looked worn out. <laughs> she looked worn out as he was telling all this stuff. And I thought, hmm. Do I want to live miracle to miracle? Or do I want to just operate in God's blessings? Do I want to have a life where I'm so dependent on miracles? Well, then there's no need for wisdom. <laughs> you know, the Word tells us pursue wisdom. Well, why do we need to pursue wisdom if we can just get a miracle from Daddy? God wants us to be ministers. These gifts aren't just for us. They're so that we can, so that we can you know, uh, perform the Great Commission and go out and save the lost. And so there, are, there is a time for a miracle. I've known people that have, got, have had healing uh, uh, cigarettes just taken off of them. I've known people that it, it was a gradual thing. Praise God, they both stopped smoking. Does it matter if it was a miracle or a healing? I know people, because they have an expectation of you go up and get prayed for, so therefore you should get a miracle, and if I don't get my miracle, then I wasn't healed. No. A healing takes a little bit of time. Our pastor was healed of cancer. He had, you know, a, a, a bad prognosis. But let me tell you something. He's a different man. He got touched. He, he, God used that situation to make him stronger. God, you know, God is, is kind of, he's changing some things around here. God, anything, you know, and, and, and God didn't put cancer on him. The enemy did. But God let our pastor know that he was going to be healed, even before he got the diagnosis. God prepared him before he got the diagnosis. When you talk and you think of different people, I know, I know a lot of people that have been healed 
and, uh, and people who've been healed, even with miracles, a lot of times God has prepared them. God has put a word in them that they can stand on in that time of trouble. It allows them to have peace when they're, when they're walking through their healing. Does it mean that the enemy stops talking to us? Does it? No. See, the enemy is going to go over and going to go over to our garden and he's going to get that pitchfork-looking stick thing, you know, and he's going to, and around those lies, going to dig that up a little bit so it can grow. And so you're walking in peace. You've got the word in you. And the next thing you know, in your garden, wait. <laughs> well, praise God, the enemy loosened it up so you could pull it out. <laughs> we need to get rid of those strongholds. And that's one of the scriptures I want to, I want to cover tonight. But let's first go to um, 2 Corinthians 10 in the third verse. And it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For the pulling down of strongholds, casting down every argument and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into capt- captivity to the obedience of Christ. So this scripture is, says that we need to bring every thought into captivity. You know, have you ever been tired? <laughs> you know, I, I, on Sunday, you got a little pain. Oh, that hurts. Have a thought, oh, that could be heart issues. Oh, that's arth- my family has arthritis. Oh, that's arthritis. You have a little thought. But you're tired. That's not too bad. So you don't bring that, 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 that thought into captivity. And it just, so that, that little irritant just sits there for a while. And then you become a friend of it that stays there for a while because you're not bringing that thought into captivity. Bringing a thought into captivity is you take that thought and you, you, put, you, take, you, you take it out of your mind and you, you put it in another prison. You don't keep that thought in your head, in your thinking. So when you take that thought out, you also say, by his stripes I am healed. Jesus' blood covered the curse. So what if my family had arthritis? Arthritis was covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's not my inheritance. You know, the Word says that I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. So we don't just um, kind of push it away a little bit. Those of you who have, anybody here have a garden? Have flowers? I do. It's not as easy as you would think to grow flowers or grow a garden. Yes, you need good soil, but you have to, you have to plant the seed. You have to dig the hole. Well, you, have to buy, you have to buy the seed or buy, or buy, buy the cuttings. You, you, you have to dig the ground up, make it soft so that, so that um, the roots can grow down. You have to water it. And you also need to make sure there's no weeds there. Because those weeds will come up and they will multiply. Um, I am pulling weeds out of my garden all year round, even in the winter. And in the summer, I have to do it every week. If I don't, they multiply and they grow and they take over. 
a weed can grow in the crack of my driveway. If we, and it's a lot easier to pull it out of that crack before it has some roots in there. But let me tell you something. I am so tempted just to let it be. And every time I let it be, I regret it. And that's the same thing I want to say with, with, when you think about your mind. It is your garden. You, that garden should be where you're putting God's word. That garden, garden is a place that you want people to come to. Think about this. When you drive by a house that has all this dead grass, weeds everywhere, unkept, does that give you a warm and fuzzy feeling? You know that there's something, you know, that, that, I'm not saying there's something wrong with the people inside. I'm not saying that. But there's something wrong with the garden. But when you go, when you see a garden that's beautiful, my mom, she's, she's got a green thumb and a half. And even, you know, I remember, you know, uh, my, my son-in-law went over and he was just amazed at her garden. Well, you know what? That garden, she's worked on it for years. She doesn't let a single weed. She is, what, 78 years old, and if she happens to be at my house and she sees a weed, she is pulling that weed up. That's diligence. I need to be diligent like my mom and not let the weeds stay in my garden. And I know if God's telling me that, he's talking to you about that. And sometimes some weeds look like flowers. You know, I had a neighbor that she was so excited until I told her that was weeds. <laughs> you know, she knew nothing. I hated to burst her bubble, but it was weeds, you know. And it, and it started for <laughs> to take over her yard. But we need wisdom. And the only place we can get wisdom is from, from, from the Word and from the Lord. So I want to encourage everyone that as you think about your mind and think about this, okay, you've got a subconscious that has a lot of information in there. I'll give you an example. You know, when, you know, I know when, when you, when you get, those of you who've been married before, you marry your husband and you think, I'm marrying my husband, not my in-laws. Praise God, right? Okay. Mine are passed away, I can say that. Um, Joy knows my in-laws. You know, she prayed for me hard growing up. But anyway, but the truth of the matter is, when I married Mark, I did marry his parents because his parents planted a lot of stuff in his subconscious. I want, I want to say that again. We plant things in our subconscious, in our families. You know, we think our family's normal. And it's not... <laughs> a, a dysfunctional family will think they're normal. They'll say, oh yeah, we, we fight a little bit more. You know, I've heard people say, that's the, the Italian in me, that's the Mexican in me, whatever it might be. I don't know why they claim it. Yeah, I don't know. But, but the truth of the matter is, if you're raised in a family that argues and bickers a lot, you may not like it, but that's normal. So, when you get married, you do things that cause little arguments. And you don't, you don't even know where you're doing it. And it's not that you say with your, with your conscience, hey, I'm going to get married and I'm just going to be awful to my spouse. 
and have all these fights in front of the kids. That's not your intent. But that's all you know. You know, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're raised in a loving house and you felt love, you felt that unconditional love, and you marry someone that hasn't had unconditional love, well, they're going to they're, they're gonna, they're gonna look at that and say, what is that? Oh, she's trying to manipulate me. What does she want me to do? Oh, sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> my in-laws, you know, didn't have much love there. But, and so that's why it's so important for us to ask God to help us. You know, we had the, we had the couple, was it, was it last weekend? It was talking to us about marriage. The biggest problem is people don't want to let go of, of their, their strongholds and their weeds because we'd rather be right than be healed. I spent, I, I've shared with you, I spent way too long wanting to be right. And I could relate to a lot of what they said. And let me tell you something. When I get married again, I'm going to have a better marriage. And that's not saying anything negative towards Mark. Mark was a wonderful husband. He just died too soon. But I've learned some things in my marriage, and it's a shame if I take the strongholds and the bad stuff with me. You know, there's people that do the same thing. Think about it. People have, they have problems on the job. It's the same problem everywhere they go. But praise God, God gives them a new job, and it's going to be better. And the same thing happens. We have people that get married, go from relationship to relationship, and it never works out, and it's never their fault. And the only fault it may be is you might, you might be, may be bad in picking out spouses. You know, you may not have, have listened to what the Holy Spirit was telling you. It may have been warning you to say, hey, hold the phone. I, I have a friend that married a man, and she said to me, God, when I met this man, the Holy Spirit told me to run. And I questioned why she didn't run. Well, she had told me that, and this was someone that went to Bible college. And over the summer, she married this man, but she, we're good friends. Not once did she tell me she was going to marry him, because my last conversation with her was at the gym when the, when the Lord said to her, run from this guy, batten your hatches. <laughs> and she, she didn't know what batten your hatches was because she wasn't from Texas. I had to tell her what that was. That means <laughs> you close the door, you lock the door, you lock the windows, you, know, you, you close the, the thing on the chimney. <laughs> you don't let that guy in. And she says, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Next thing I knew, she got married. Well, guess what? Two years later, she got a divorce. And um, he wasn't such a good guy. He had a temper problem. And he liked to hit and yell and different things. It took her years to overcome that. See, the Holy Spirit warned her, but he was good looking. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was cute. He was good looking. And he had, he had a nice car and he had money. He had a Lexus, you know. And he was in Bible college after all. You know, but see what happens is in your mind, 
you pull this bad data <laughs> out. And you make bad decisions because you've got some, some fault. You know, here it is. <laughs> Run from him. <laughs> Batten down your hatches. You know, but she, you, the truth of the matter is he gave her this gorgeous ring and she loved that ring too. It was gorgeous, like a $20,000 ring. She loved it. And back then that was a lot of money, you know. But uh, the Holy Spirit will warn us, but we don't want to listen. We think we know better. We'll change them. You know, we'll change them. It's kind of funny. Here I'm getting on the subject of marriage because I wasn't even planning on doing this. But men and women are raised differently. Women, they're raised, you know, well, back when I was a kid, it was really different because we had home, home ec. <laughs> we even learned little things, you know, little how to sew on buttons and things like that in school, you know. But women were raised to get married. Think about it. How many of your women here played house? You had dolls and you pretended to be a mom? I don't know. You know not, not <laughs> a lot of y'all are younger. Well, well, that's what we did growing up. The boys, what did they do? They played uh, army, war, uh, bikes. Um, they did all kinds. They were just you know, action, 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 action. So you've got this girl that's been grooming herself to get married her whole life has certain expectations that are there because what does she do? She watches chick flicks, reads romance novel, novels, listens to all these people, unreal people on TV shows that say they do these wonderful things for their... I mean, this guy that my, my girlfriend married, okay, he, he whined and dined her. He was always giving her flowers, giving her gifts, doing all kinds of stuff. But when they got married... That stopped. And, and also, she stopped doing some stuff. You know, women, once you get your man, <laughs> you, you stop doing some of the things you did to get him. Now, in our defense, a lot of times we're raising children, we're having a job. I, mean, so, yeah, I love it. Someone said, you know, it's real easy for a woman to prepare for a date like three times a week. They can look really good three times a week. But it's hard to do it seven days a week. Some of us, it's a little bit harder, you know. But... We put all this effort into getting a, a woman puts all this effort into getting a man. But then once we get them, we stop putting effort in. A man does all the whining and dining to catch this woman because she looks a certain way because he only sees her like three days a week after she bids beauty parlor all day. And then when they get married and she doesn't look the same, he's not interested. Why do I share that? Both people have to put good things in their, 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 gar their marriage garden. The word has to be there in the marriage garden. A woman may have an unrealistic expectation of the man, and the man feels it. If your man is not lining up to what you think your dream man should do, you have a way of letting him know and vice versa. And then you have two people that are very unhappy instead of looking at what the Word says. Instead of maybe getting rid of some of those lies that Hollywood has told us what marriage is supposed to look like, what romance is supposed to look like. I can tell you this. How many women here love it if your husband vacuums? 
Does anybody mind if their husband helps clean? They're, they're not taught how to, you know, maybe this generation, they're not taught how to do anything like that. That's not what, what Hollywood or what your parents do to train you on how to be a, a man. So I want to encourage you, once you're grown up, I love it. Our pastor didn't have a father to show him how to be a man. So he went to the Lord. It didn't keep him from being a man. It didn't keep him from being a good father. It didn't keep him from being a good husband. He had no father. If we did not have a father, a good example, that doesn't give us an out. See, the enemy wants you to think, oh, well, you know, he didn't have a father. You know, yeah, you you had a bad life. Your dad was an alcoholic. You know, or your mom did this to you, whatever it might be. That's the enemy that's trying to keep those, those weeds in your garden so that they can grow up. And the bottom line is, you're not going to grow up until you have to. And as long as you believe the lie, you'll keep from, it'll keep you from pursuing the promise. So I want to kind of get back to our imaginations. And I'm sorry I haven't, haven't done many scriptures here. But I think you'll see that everything that I share today is somewhere in the scriptures, and I can give, you the, I can give those to you. But um, God wants us to be whole. God wants the church to be whole. God wants our garden to be full. You know, we've had people talk about our church and how we want people to come into our church. Well, it's what, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit that's going to bring people in. Think about it. If you've got nothing to offer, people don't want it. If you're an angry person, if you're an unhappy person, who wants that? What kind of witness is that? But if you are someone, not one of those fake happy people, because people can see that, but if you're truly a happy person, if you truly have a relationship with the Lord, if you truly give your mind, all of your mind to God, people are going to look at you. They're going to see something different in you, and they're going to want that. I think right now my prayers is for, you know, we, the enemy is just in the middle of politics. The enemy is in the middle of churches. I mean, I watched the news just for a second as I ate dinner tonight. Well, not the news. I was going to. And there's like four commercials in a row. A commercial about one guy, how bad he is. Then it's his commercial, how good he is. Then another per- candidate, how bad he is. Right after that, how good he is. I thought, oh my goodness, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who these people are. I, okay, I kind of do. But it was so weird that just bombarded with all this information. And we've got to look at what the, what the Word says. We're going to have to... In these trying times, because people are lying, we're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us who we need to, who we need to uh, vote for. Who lines up with the Word? Whose belief system is going is to be affected by this candidate? And that's all I want to say about politics, but I want to just encourage you, when you look at your garden, when you look at your mind, ask the Lord, Lord, Reveal to me some stinking thinking. 
reveal to me some bad seed that's in my subconscious that is still affecting the way that I think. Get into the Word, and as you read the Word, it might stir something up in you. Right now, people want somebody else to fix them. Well, no one can fix you because, to be honest, you're not honest with people. We tell people what we want them to hear. You know, I tell you stories about me and my husband. Well, that's my perception. He's not here <laughs> to say his side of the story. I try to be generous, but, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know if I am because of pro- things I've experienced in my life. I know how it affected me. You know, we talked about a few things, but um, we don't see things clearly. And we think we have a reason for doing what we do. If it didn't make sense to us, we wouldn't do it. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need wisdom. And I want to just close it um, with, um, with one last scripture and a prayer. And it's, um, it is in, um, oh man, I'm just going to read the scripture because I've cut off the page on that. Okay, here. It's in Ephesians 4.1. And actually it's in 4.1, the seventh verse. It says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore he says, When he ascended on high, and he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men, he said, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, for the equipping of the saints to work the ministry for the edifying of the body. What we do should be edifying the body. Our family is the body. It's not just for me to edify, be one person here and somebody else at home. And if you think about that, just think about Wow, we, we can, we can, our kids can have a step forward in their, in their Christian walk if we lay down our pride, seek the Lord, and give up some of those strongholds in our life. So I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, that we can put on this new man. You wouldn't tell us to if we couldn't. And Father, I just ask that you show each one of us how to be this new man that you created in us and not to settle for just what life throws our way, but to pursue the gifts and the callings that you've placed in our heart. And I thank you, Lord, that you are preparing our hearts and our minds for such a time as this. In the name of Jesus, amen.